Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. For a country to take on the most critical problems of our day, like climate change, it needs its people to be engaged and committed. Yet, as countries recover from the biggest health, economic, and social crisis in decades, the trust citizens have in their government is under strain. How can this trust be won back? My name is Christopher Mooney. Today's OECD podcast is the first in a two-part series organized by the Directorate for Public Governance of the OECD. The subject of this series is reinforcing democracy. Today we're looking at what drives public trust. How can policymakers build people's confidence in their government's capacity to be responsive, reliable, open, honest, and fair? Here to help us answer these questions is Elsa Pilikowski, the Director for Public Governance of the OECD. Elsa Pilikowski has more than 20 years' experience in public governance. Her many areas of expertise include anti-corruption and integrity, transparency, policy coherence, digital and open government processes, and many forms of citizen participation. Hello, Elsa Pilikowski. Good morning, Chris. So first, I just have a question about the Ministerial on Building Trust and Reinforcing Democracy, which is coming up uh, in November 17th in Luxembourg. Uh, What is it? Uh, Who participates? And what are its goals and ambitions? Well, let me give you a little bit of context. Obviously, it's news to no one that our democracies, and including the most stable ones, including those the most solid, the ones, the, the longest standing democracies, are really facing a deep challenges. But what are we going to do about it? So liberal democracies are, we all know, are the systems that really best protect us, uh, protect our collective rights. There is no doubt about it. They also are systems that have allowed a sustained path on uh, economic growth and greater well-being. But we also know that it's now the time to roll up our sleeves and and really work together to address the the challenges that we're facing and protect and deepen our democratic values so that they are resilient and fit for the 21st century. Uh, So this is what these participants to these two meetings on the 17th and 18th of November, this is what they are saying, what they are coming for, and what they have decided to start tackling together. On the metro over here, I was looking at the New York Times, and I came across an article that had this as a headline, fears over fate of democracy leave many voters frustrated and resigned. And then in the body of of the article, it mentions that 71% of all voters, this is in the United States, believe that democracy is at risk, according to a new New York Times poll, but only 7% identified that as the most important problem facing the country. In this period where people are concerned about issues like corruption, and of course COVID and disinformation, financial crises, energy crisis, would you say that trust in government is at an all-time low? Well, the, actually, the answer to your question about trust level is actually a no. Uh, trust is at, has been at a low point since the 2008 financial crisis. But today, after an enormous crisis that was the COVID crisis, trust levels remain at a higher point than after the financial crisis. So basically, we are at about an even split. About 40% of the people believe that uh, do not trust their government and about 40% trust their government. But in your question, you're mixing up two things. You're mixing up trust in government and satisfaction with the way democracies are functioning. And in fact, trust levels are not an outcome of democracy. Uh, You can have very high trust in autocracies 
and low trust in democracies. Democracies are actually the system which allow citizens to distrust their government and it fluctuates over time. And it's important to take that into account. Right. Because in, in your most recent trust survey, I think uh, 2021, uh, of 22 different OECD countries, were you finding the, this, these levels of trust and distrust uh, across the board? And what did the trust show you about people's civic engagement in these countries? So the results of our trust survey are, are really interesting in the sense that they provide us with an understanding of what drives trust today in OECD countries. So not the whole picture is poor or bad or is a, is a, gives a not solid outlook for the future, because in some areas, governments in our countries are doing very well. Uh, first of all, citizens are reasonably confident that they can rely on governments to deliver public services. And most people in most countries report feeling satisfied with healthcare, with education, and they are also saying that their governments are prepared to respond to a future pandemic. So these are good outcomes. Their governments are delivering for them. Uh, they are also, you know, satisfied with administrative services. They, most of them also trust that their governments will use their personal data safely, which is very important in today's world. Where is the problem and where is the failure today with trust? And the diagnostic is actually pretty simple. Countries are really falling short of meeting citizens' expectations in terms of government responsiveness, and few people see opportunities to participate in policymaking. Uh, something that I saw that in your book, which is called Reinforcing Democracy. Sorry, the full title? Uh, Building Trust to Reinforce Democracy. Thank you. You describe a strengthened form of democracy, one that would not only be of the people, by the people, for the people, but also increasingly with the people. What do you mean by that? Tell us more about that. Well, one of the things that the survey is, um, our study, uh, the sur it's long-term work. We've been working on that for 10 years, and the survey was the end point of that work. But one of the things that is becoming very clear is that citizens' expectations have evolved. So it is very clear that it's not our democracies that are not functioning as well as they used to. It's citizens' expectations have changed over time. And their expectations is about stronger participation, stronger representation. So this is about our representative democracies having to modernize in the future and having to increasingly involve people on a daily basis, on a sustainable basis, institutionally, in decision making and making sure they represent them better in their diversity. In the book, you stress that it is essential to protect and promote civic space, both uh, online and offline. Can you tell us what you mean here by civic space and, and how and in what ways is it, is it being threatened? So civic space really refers to the conditions that allow all people to participate in public life. So on the one hand, this includes, you know, the legal frameworks, the policies and initiatives like constitutions guaranteeing rights such as freedom of expression, association and assembly. Um, independent oversight mechanisms that also guarantee those rights, um, autonomous organizations, portals also providing information and clear procedures towards freedom for information requests, and all of these things that help individuals know things that are happening in public life and intervene. On the other hand, it's also ensuring that the rights are respected in practice, that the rule of law is respected, and that there are opportunities for people to participate in decision-making that affects their lives. 
Right. So how, then, can we get people civically involved again? How can we rebuild this trust in government? So, I mean, first of all, we mentioned, you know, protecting civic space. This is the the number one. It's a precondition. It's a sine qua non condition. And right now we know that including in our OECD countries, civic space post-COVID is in difficulty in certain areas like journalistic rights. Uh, So that's, I would say, the precondition is to fighting to protect and, and deepen civic space in our societies. Then there are the mechanisms that allow uh, meaningful citizen engagement in our institutions. So we mentioned, for example, deliberative democracy. We have a number of countries that are institutionalizing uh, things such as citizens' assemblies and juries, um, using uh, civic lotteries to convene also um, uh, representative groups of people to tackle, you know, including very difficult public policy challenges. Um, for example, I can give you an example. France, yeah. and, France and Chile have undertaken uh, large consultation uh, processes at the national level for citizens and stakeholders. Uh, for example, in Chile with the, with the drafting of the new constitution. Right. Canada, France, Germany and the UK have used representative deliberative processes to involve citizens in long-term decisions such as infrastructure or climate policies. But isn't that what representatives are for, that they've, these elected officials that people have chosen, aren't they therefore then making those sorts of decisions? I just think we're at a different moment of maturity of the, our democratic systems. It used to be that uh, the people were able to give full confidence to their representatives to pass reforms and make decisions on their behalf. It is clear now from our results on trust that there's another level of expectation, which is about personal engagement. It's probably linked to digitalization that people have gotten used to expressing themselves directly on social media and in other areas. And now they want to voice a direct voice within democracy. So, of course, this is very complex because it goes against the principles and the institutions of representative democracy. So our democracies have to learn how to make the whole thing coherent. We were not going for direct democracy for everybody on every subject all the time. This is an impossible system. But we have to make the two live together, representative democracy on the one hand and deliberative democracy on the other hand. And is this a a generational issue as well? I mean, uh, we see many young people these days showing great motivation, but even more so, don't vote. They don't participate at all. Is, as, again, is this true across the board in OECD countries? It is true for most OECD countries where we know that we have lower levels of engagement in, uh, in voting uh, from young people. We also see that they have lower levels of trust in government in our survey. But all indications are there to show that they, they actually want to engage in public life in a different manner. And that's where deliberative uh, democracy comes in. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily running for office then. That we will have to, to, see, uh, to see what they want to do with running for office. There are also some uh, difficulties for them to run for office that are related to engagement in a political party, uh, having the financial means, being in a stable conditions, and all this we need to work on. But at least their level of engagement in deliberative democracy is, I think, a very good sign, a healthy sign for the future of our democracies. Could you show us different strategies that are being used to try to engage youth in participative democracy? 
So countries have been moving with different ways of engaging youth in different manners compared to that. Uh, one way uh, is by uh, affiliating advisory youth councils to government or specific ministries. We have more than half of the OECD countries doing that. Uh, they have also established youth councils at national and subnational levels. Uh, we have about 80% uh, of our countries which have such institutions now. Um, also, very importantly, a number of countries have, have lowered the age requirement for youth uh, to run for office in order to promote their representation in public institutions. Um, or having, you know, voluntary or regulatory quotas in party lists for national parliaments. Um, for example, uh, in its uh, 2020 youth policy, the Canadian government has committed to having 75% of crown corporations include the young person on their board. Uh -huh. Women as well have always been underrepresented in, in political decision making. Is this being addressed? Well, the interesting, one of the interesting results of the, of the trust survey that was very interesting to us, but also even to me, is that there is lower trust of women in government compared to men. So that is something that we need to continue working on. Um, we can, you know, we can set targets or quotas for gender balance, improving, of course, pay equity, use work-life balance measures across all levels, providing opportunities for coaching, networking, mentoring, and sponsorship to promote uh, women leadership in the public sector. Uh, but there's still a, a way to go. So we're seeing from Brazil to America, we're, we're seeing public officials uh, question the legitimacy of election results. Is there a way for policymakers to address this? Um, and and, a, and a, a part of this issue is foreign interference. Uh, can it be stopped? This is one of the very important concerns of our 38 members. Of course, elections are and remain one of the main ways that citizens participate, through which citizens participate in democratic processes and protecting the rights of the citizens to vote and of course, ensuring the, the highest levels of integrity and transparency are paramount for the future of our democracies. So there are already laws in place to oversee campaign financing and reporting in most of our countries. There are also um, uh, laws and regulations in place to prevent undue influence in uh, policymaking and in elections. However, there are new challenges. There are new challenges regarding the misuse of data, about disinformation, about cybersecurity threats, about uh, targeting that do require strengthened capacities of justice systems to respond to, to disputes emerging during electoral campaigns or elections. And undue influence from uh, foreign governments, and not only governments, but foreign associations, foreign companies, are becoming uh, a, a huge matter for OECD countries during election during electoral campaigns. Uh, we're working on that. It's going to take time. Uh, there's nothing simple about that. Uh, but the 38 countries are working on that and find a sustainable to find a sustainable path for the future. Are there any examples you could give of policies that are already in place for the misuse of people's data? So the 38 countries are moving on that. Uh, the 38 OECD countries are moving on that. There's no yet any fantastic example about anyone have been a having been able to, um, to address this issue in a systematic manner. 
Uh, but we're working on it. And obviously, uh, there are many regulations in place, but these were regulations in place for the analog world. In the digital world that we have today, we do need new regulations. Also, the dissemination of information by governments. Uh, how can they compete uh, with these various other players? Well, we are, I mean, this is again one of the major concerns that we have with democracies today. So uh, it's a very complicated issue. What is disinformation? How to define it? How to maintain and deepen and strengthen even uh, freedom, of, uh, freedom of speech? Uh, that said, we are at a time where uh, governments do have to intervene, not to say what the truth is, because the truth doesn't belong to governments, but to set up the governance of information ecosystems so that the information ecosystems are resilient mm -hmm. to disinformation. And that includes new partnerships with civil society, with journalists, with the media institutions. It also will require a certain degree of regulation of social media platforms. And the European Commission is already moving on that very fast. And it will also include uh, things such as, um, uh, you know, building also the resilience of uh, citizens. And this is through education about media literacy and digital literacy. It's really a whole of society approach that needs to be put in place, such as in the good examples of that uh, are probably in the Baltic countries today. Um, it's a long endeavor, but it's a very important uh, it's a very important effort that we all need to make to address this crucial issue for the future of democracies. So where are we at now? Are we moving towards more openness, more transparency? We will have to. We will have to because this is what citizens are expecting in our democracies. Again, this is not necessarily the same thing in, in other regimes, but in our democracies, yes, we will have to move towards more openness, a deeper democratic engagement and engagement of the people into decision-making processes, while at the same time strengthening the resilience of our democracies, including against foreign threats. Okay, well, thank you very much, Elsa. You've given us a lot to think about. Any last word, anything that you feel we should know or think about? Well, let me just thank you first uh, for this is a very important topic for our future. And obviously, our democracies are meeting some serious challenges and are being criticized. Let me say that it's important to remind everybody that democracy is the best system that we have found so far, uh, that as much and as much criticisms that we can put to our towards our institutions today, uh, we have seen during COVID, for example, that our democracies have actually provided for the best way out of COVID. The best results are in our democracies. So even in very concrete terms, even taking out, you know, the fundamental values of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, about rights to privacy, all the basics that democracies protect, they have also shown very clearly that where the best path towards very concrete well-being outcomes, they are the best systems to promote that. And I think we should remember that every day and, and really fight to protect them, but also listen to the people to be able to deepen the democratic models and, and make sure it's 
it's really um, up to speed with the evolution of society. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Elsa. You've given us a lot to think about. Thank you. Thank you for listening to OECD Podcast. For more information about the Global Forum on Building Trust and Reinforcing Democracy, which will take place on the 17th of November in Luxembourg, go to oecd.org slash reinforcing dash democracy. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.